Let's hit it. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. Dino Files. Hello and welcome to Dino Files, episode number 26. I am Dino and I am here to deliver news. Bad and mostly bad. But uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a good time for those of you who like to listen to news that is bad and mostly bad. Um, is that is that a little bit negative? I'm afraid that might be a little bit negative, but it's okay. Let's uh, let's jump right into the stories from uh, from the post from the Wapo, which I don't really like, but this story's fine. Uh, there was a bombing at a mosque uh, in uh, in uh, Minnesota. Pretty pretty terrible thing. Somebody uh, used an IED. It's being described as an IED by the FBI. They use that to, uh, whoa, hey, there, now the audio will be much cleaner. They used uh, an IED to blow up a section of a mosque. Um, It's pretty terrible. So apparently there was really nobody in this space, but the Minnesota governor came out and said this is awful, and they're calling it a hate crime, and all this other stuff, which is, which is, you know, fine, whatever, uh... Uh, hate is not okay. Assad Zaman, executive director of the Muslim American Society of Minnesota, told reporters, according to the Star Tribune, quote, we need an America where people are safe with their neighbors. Yes, that is true. Uh, yeah, this is, this is horrible. This is a fucking tragedy. Um, when, when people like me speak out against Islamists and when people like me and, uh, frankly, smarter, better people than me, people like Sam Harris and... And uh, some of your more popular YouTubers like Chris Ray Gunn and, and stuff like that. When, when we speak about Islamism and sort of the dangers that uh, radical or I guess to a certain extent even mainstream Islam pose to society, we are not ever encouraging violence. And to see that people would take their displeasure at, uh, at current events with, with Islam and... and Various problems with Islamism, especially in Europe, and so we we did see this in Europe when a guy ran over uh, a bunch of Muslims. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, when when again when people like me speak out against Islam Islamists, we're not uh, encouraging violence ever. This is a tragedy and it is terrible, and it should not happen. I just want to cover that because there are people who accuse people like me of. Encouraging a, a sort of racial, sort of genocide or race hate or whatever, which is interesting because you know Islam isn't a race, but <laughs> people do accuse guys like me of of wanting to uh, encourage this kind of violence. I don't want to be very clear that 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 nobody that I know or respect would be okay with this, regardless of what they think about Islam. So this is this is terrible, and it's sad. Moving on to the next story, uh, there was a big old uh, FOIA dump uh, regarding collusion between Loretta Lynch, the FBI, and the media to bury the uh, the Lynch Clinton meeting when they met on the plane and talked about their grandkids. <laughs> that was the story. Uh, documents released today. This is from Zero Hedge. Documents released today by the ACLJ, and I've forgotten what that stands for. Uh, ACLJ, American Center for Law and Justice. By the ACLJ revealed several emails between FBI and DOJ officials concerning the Lynch-Clinton meeting, primarily related to how they should go about explaining the train wreck that had just been unwittingly played out on live television, courtesy of a local Phoenix affiliate station. Here's a recap from ACLJ. 
and this is a quote from the ACLJ, the documents we received today from the Department of Justice include several emails from the FBI to DOJ officials concerning the meeting. One with the subject line flag was correspondence between FBI officials Richard Quinn, FBI media investigative publicity, and uh, Michael Corton, and DOJ officials concerning flagging a story about a casual, unscheduled meeting between former President Bill Clinton and the AG. That's uh, Attorney General. The DOJ off official instructs the FBI to let me know if you have any questions about this and provides uh, our talkers do DOJ our talkers DOJ talking points on this. The talking points, however, are redacted. Another email to the FBI contains the subject line security details coordinate between Loretta Lynch slash Bill Clinton question mark. Uh, on July 1, 2016, just days before our FOIA request, the DOJ email chain under the subject line FBI just called indicates that the FBI is looking for guidance in responding to media inquiries about the news reports that the FBI had prevented the press from taking pictures of the Clinton-Lynch meeting. The discussion went, uh, went off email to several phone calls, of which we are now not able to attain records. An hour later, Carolyn Puckamy of the Office of the Attorney General stated, I will let Rabicki know. Jim Rabicki was the Chief of Staff and Senior Counsel to FBI Director Jim Comey. The information that was to be provided to Rabicki is redacted. Also of note, several of the documents contain redactions that are requested per FBI. It is clear that there are multiple records within the FBI responsive to our requests and that discussions... Man, this is not well written at all. It is clear that there were multiple records within the FBI responsive, it should say responses, to our request and that discussions regarding the surreptitious meeting between then-AG Lynch and the husband of the subject of an ongoing FBI criminal investigation reached the highest levels of the FBI. So, that's what, uh, that's what recently came out from a, uh, from a FOIA dump from uh, the ACLJ. This is something that should surprise no one. It's the kind of thing that that's come to be expected when you're dealing with these kinds of uh, of stories. Bill Clinton met with the attorney general. His wife was under criminal investigation. Of course, they're going to be talking about how they can cover it up, um, or at least spin the story to create, if not confusion, then try to create some sort of plausible deniability. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, many people, myself included, still contend that this was a this was some fucking bullshit. That this was a uh, that this was most certainly a meeting in which the uh, the investigation into Hillary came up, and it, it doesn't surprise me at all that they would be scared that the public is so aware of this, and uh, you know everybody coming out saying you know they just talked about the grandkids, man, and fuck you, you don't talk about your grandkids with the woman who's the head of the of the government wing that is investigating your wife. I don't give a shit if they were talking about grandkids. This isn't proper. <laughs> like, people who think this is okay, whether they were talking about their grandkids or not, people who think this is okay just blow my freaking mind. Um, next story, also from Zero Hedge. Private prison demands small town give it 300 more prisoners or it will close down. A small community in New Mexico is learning firsthand the consequences of relying on corporate industry to fuel your economy. In the case of Torrance County, it's the private prison industry. From a July 25 article by the Santa Fe New Mexican... Quote, the company that has operated a private prison in Estancia for nearly three decades has announced it will close the Torrance County Detention Facility and lay off more than 200 employees unless it can find 300 state or federal inmates to fill empty beds within the next 60 days, according to the statement issued Tuesday by county officials. The closure to, of the prison would mean a loss of about $700,000 in annual taxes and, and utility payments for the town of Estancia, which has a population of 1,500. 
surrounding Torrance County would see a loss of around $300,000. Incidentally, the county has no jail of its own, meaning the sheriff's department would have to find new housing for the 50 to 75 people it arrests each month. This is a big issue, uh, quote, this is a big issue for us, county manager Belinda Garland told the Santa Fe New Mexican. It's going to affect Torrance County in a big way. The corporate entity that, op- that operates the facility, CoreCivic, formerly known as Corrections Corporation of America, of which Bill Gates is a huge investor, just so you know, is the second largest private prison company in the nation. CoreCivic's Bozeman Jonathan Burns said this of the closing. Quote, the city of Estancia and the surrounding community have been a great partner to CoreCivic for the last 27 years. CoreCivic is grateful for the support of the community for the support the community has shown through the years, and we are honored to have been a part of that community. Unfortunately, a declining detainee population in general has forced us to make difficult decisions in order to maximize utilization of our resources. <sighs> End quote. The majority of the facility's inmates are detainees of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and core civic officials point to a sharp decline in border arrests along with criminal justice reforms as causes behind the closure. Chad Miller, the warden of the facility, told the Mountain View Telegraph the inmate population has been well under full capacity for a long while. Quote, the reality is that we've been operating a loss for the last few four years, he said. The question came for the company, how long can you run something that's not profitable? At what point do you say enough is enough? So, yeah. Uh, this is a, a microcosm of a larger problem with, with, the way that, um, with the way that really criminal justice is run in the United States. So there's, there are major issues regarding uh, all the interests that, that private corporations have in maintaining a high inmate population. And those interests, of course, are going to lead to lobbying for uh, stricter punishments, uh, which they have done. By the way, uh, private prison companies have been major lobbyists for uh, mandatory minimums uh, for you know possession or distribution of narcotics and things like that. Uh, mandatory minimums is a, is a huge thing for these companies. They want people in jail because uh, that's where they make their money. Which, you know, typically I, I don't have a problem with privatization of different industries, but when you have this kind of collusion between private industry and government, that, that t- it really is just an earmark of, of our, or a hallmark of our, uh, our current economy and, and our current structure of our government. Uh, when you have that kind of collusion, it's, of course, you're going to have problems and you're going to have people with different interests and you're going to have people with interests that go, uh, frankly, against the interests of the people, you know, like with drugs and stuff like that. It's pretty fucking simple. So moving on from there, also from Zero Hedge, and this is part of my ongoing uh, discussion about uh, the economy in the United States, uh, especially the fact that it's shit and nobody wants to talk about that fact. From Zero Hedge, the Amazon effect, part-time jobs soar by 330, uh, I'm sorry, 393,000 full-time jobs slide. On the surface of the July jobs report, on the surface, geez, I'm having a hard time reading. On the surface, the July jobs report was solid with 209,000 jobs added, more than the expected as the recent, more than expected as the recent auto sector slowdown appears to skip the labor market for now, with Trump quick to take credit for the report. And then there's a Trump, uh, Trump uh, tweet. However, digging through the numbers reveals some troubling features. While the household survey reported that an impressive 345,000 jobs were added, more than 50% higher than the establishment survey, the bulk of these jobs was part-time. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in July, 
393,000 part-time jobs were added, offset by a drop of 54,000 full-time workers. This was the biggest increase in part-time jobs going back to September 2006. Having monopolized the retail sector and branching out to others is Amazon, which recently hired 10 part-time jobs for every full-time job, starting to uh, dominate the jobs report. Now. Oh, man, this is so badly written. Jesus, fuck Zero Hedge. Get your shit together. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a, a hallmark of, a, of an economy that's struggling. People, people uh, are not getting on in full-time positions in the numbers that they would be under a strong economy. Your jobs that are being added are, uh, they're not full-time employment positions. They are part-time jobs, and part-time jobs are uh, not super helpful. <laughs> In a down economy, what you want is, is you want people working for money, for more money than they could be making elsewhere. And this is uh, a situation where, this is a kind of a window into the fact that our economy is really not great right now. Um, the fact that part-time employment is uh, is exploding and full-time employment is sliding. This, sh- <laughs> this really tells you all, you all you need to know. And part of this, I mean, people were saying this was going to happen because of Obamacare. I don't think this is because of Obamacare, though. I think this is more uh, because the economy is bad. Uh, you know, the employers are skittish about investing heavily in uh, their employees. I don't know. It's just... Uh, it's bothersome to me. In other news, this is from uh, a, a local news outlet in Seattle. The U.S. Attorney General, meanwhile, is warning of a crackdown on marijuana-producing states. But our state attorney general says, not so fast. Jeff Sessions sent a letter to our state's top officials last month pointing out that Washington's rules on marijuana don't prevent a federal crackdown. He also questioned how effectively our state is controlling the industry. Attorney General Bob Ferguson says he was disappointed and that the letter relies on incomplete, inaccurate, and out-of-date information. Ferguson also says he's repeatedly invited Sessions to meet in person to discuss the issue, but he has not yet accepted. So the federal government is making sure that states know that it doesn't matter what the state wants with regard to marijuana rules, and in Oregon, uh, interestingly enough, We've seen Oregon making moves to uh, decriminalize harder drugs, which, yeah, good fucking thing. But uh, it, it appears that the federal government doesn't want to play ball with states' rights, so which is comes as no surprise to anybody. But they're 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 flexing a little bit of muscle, and uh, we may or may not. It, it, I think it's a bad idea, but we may or may not see uh, the the federal government moving against uh, marijuana producers in places like Oregon and, and California, Nevada, things like that. All right. That's pretty much it for the headlines. Those are, uh, those are just kind of the interesting stories that I saw come across. Um, I don't have any interesting legislation today because I didn't have time to look it up, but I will have some later on in the week. And uh, I do want to take this opportunity between kind of segments to say that I have been in discussion with the Liberty Weekly podcast, as I've said before, and we are probably going to do something this month where we sort of cross over the shows and cross the streams and make some shit happen. It should be a, a really fun show. I really like those guys. They're smart and they know what they're talking about and they're, they're, they're good producers of content, creative people. So I think, I don't know, I, I think we'll have a lot of fun when we do that. I also want to take the opportunity to say that just yesterday... 
uh, I recorded with Ryan Porterfield and uh, a few other of our friends, and we made an episode of Ryan's show, Annie Files. Um, it was a, a really good time. I had a ton of fun there. Uh, I was able to rag on some shows. I was able to, to sort of, uh, to you know, jizz over some shows. It, w- it was a fun time. I really enjoyed it. It was a... Uh, it's a great show. We all had a lot of fun making it, and I'm excited for that to come out. It should come out this week. That's uh, Annie Files is another show on the. What do I have tape on me? It's another show on the uh, on the AIRAD.io podcast network on uh, Alternative Internet Radio. So go check that out. He's made other stuff before, uh, but he's kind of just getting back into it, and he's a he's a great content producer. He's a great guy, smart too, and uh, I like talking to him. So. He is going to be releasing that this week, and I, I definitely recommend that you give it a listen. Okay, we're going to move on now, because shit's getting weird in Canada. <laughs> this is from the Fifth Column News. I'm, uh, uh, headline, creepy Canadian app gives citizens points for making government-approved choices. From FEE, Ontario announced earlier this month that it will become the fourth Canadian government to fund a behavioral modification application that rewards users for making good choices in regards to health, finance, and the environment. The Carrot Rewards Carrot, oh Jesus, the Carrot Rewards smartphone app, which will receive 1.5 million from the Ontario million dollars from the Ontario government. Not sure if that's Canadian dollarettes or American dollars. Uh, credits users' accounts with points toward the active toward the reward program of their choice in exchange for reaching step goals, taking quizzes and surveys, and engaging in government-approved messages. The app, funded by the Canadian federal government and developed by Toronto-based company Carrot Insights in 2015, is sponsored by a number of companies, offering reward points for their services and an incentive to learn how to improve wellness and budget finances, according to Carrot Insights. All offers are designed, quote, all offers are designed by sources you can trust, like the BC Ministry of Health, Newfoundland, and uh, Labrador Government, the Heart and Stroke Foundation, the Canadian Diabetes Association, and the YMCA. Users can choose to receive rewards from, for companies including Scene, Aeroplan, uh, Petro Canada, and more or more rewards, a loyalty program that partners with other businesses. Carrot Rewards is free to download, and users receive 200 points just by downloading the app and answering a few questions. The answers don't have to be correct. Sending an invitation code to friends will also gain users points, as the government is happy to track the daily activity of as many citizens as possible, which, by the way, the app can do even when it is not active. In order to use the app, users are giving Carrot Insights and the federal government permission to, quote, access and collect information from your mobile device, including but not limited to geolocation data, accelerometer slash gyroscope data, your mobile device's camera, microphone, contacts, calendar, and Bluetooth connectivity in order to operate the additional functionalities of the services. Jesus, fuck. Uh, Founder and CEO of Carrot Insights, Andreas, uh, not going to try that last name, launched the app in 2015 with a focus on health, but the company and its partner governments quickly realized it was effective at modifying behavior in other areas as well. I just... Hmm. The Canadian government is asking citizens to track their activity and modify their behavior by dangling a carrot on a stick and it's working. That's why I was... When it said carrot thing, I was like, bleh. 
While still voluntary, the Carrot app is eerily similar to social credit systems in China, which not only offer rewards for compliance, but also punishments for trust breakers, who may face, uh, quote, penalties on subsidies, career progression, asset ownership, and the ability to receive honorary titles from the Chinese government. Though current applications of the social credit systems are unconnected, there have been a push. There has been a push in the country to combine them into one government-run program. I just, I'm fucking Jesus, fuck. This is insanity. This is actual insanity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This. I'll tell you why this is creepy. Okay, and it's not. It, it goes beyond the location tracking and the access to the camera, which. We just saw a recent CIA leak that uh, that outlined the Dumbo program, which was able to hack and use webcams without the user's knowledge. Um, this is weird because it's a, a strange sort of nanny state type activity where you have people who not only want the government to protect them and to... to, to to give them social programs and to do all this other stuff, but they also want the government to manage their everyday lives. This is getting more and more granular. People who are begging government, or governments who are taking it upon themselves, to manage just everyday bullshit in their citizens' lives. This is... This is not good! It, it's difficult for me to understand why people look at this and say, Oh, awesome! This goes beyond a PSA. This is... This is actively engaging in the everyday decisions of your citizenry. And that is not good. When you have a, gov a government... <sighs> Governments are, by definition, monopolies on the use of force. And the government here, as with governments in the United States, law enforcement agencies, things like that, they don't give a shit about you or your rights as a human being. They really don't. And... Just I'm, I'm just imagining all the things that can be done with the data that they're going to collect. I mean, imagine, imagine a health tax. Imagine being taxed for having poor health by your government. This is something that is totally logical, frankly, in, an, in a system of nationalized health care. If you got people who are logging Cheetos in their, in their Spy on Me app, you got people who are logging Cheetos into it. Oh, well, you're going to have an extra 50 cents for that bag of Cheetos. Sorry, that's going to affect your health and you're going to have to... There you go. You think that's not coming? <laughs> well, I mean, they've been looking at, in the United States, they've been looking at mileage taxes on vehicles. They've been looking at, I mean, you got your big soda taxes and things like that. Jesus fuck, do you think this is not coming? Especially when the United States goes to single payer. And you Canadians, I'm sorry, you're fucked. Much like you Europeans out there, you're fucked too. The progression can kind of be stopped in the United States because we're not quite there yet. But Jesus Christ, Canada, Europe, you guys are fucked. Australia's the same, the same way. There's so much restructuring that would have to be done in these countries to actually get your liberties back. You may as well fucking leave. Because this is not... This doesn't make any sense from to somebody who has the perspective that maximizing freedom is an intrinsic good. Because this doesn't maximize freedom. This this puts the government in your everyday decision making. This is... Oh, man. And people who go along with this shit, I don't even understand. It's terrifying. It's truly fucking terrifying. And, and you also go with... And this goes beyond just like a like a like a bad health tax or a poor decision making tax or whatever. Because frankly, there already is a stupid tax. It's called you know the money that it costs you to be stupid. This goes beyond that. There's in Canada you have all this hate speech stuff, which we don't quite have in the United States, but you have this in Europe as well. And imagine your your health app. Just I mean, if you give this thing access, okay, you take an app like an app like Mint. 
where you give this thing access to read the data from your uh, bank accounts. It would not be hard for an app like this to just say, hey, give us access to your bank account. We can help you with your budget. And then once they have access to the bank account, all they have to do is say, oh, oh, you, you ran that red light. We got you on camera. We're just going to just gonna take that fine real quick out of that account. And oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll just do it automatically. Oh, you want to contest it? Well, that's going to cost you a lot. I'll take some of that too. It's fucking ridiculous. This is not a good idea. This is not. This is, this is a bad idea. Ugh. I know every argument that I'm making here is like a slippery slope argument, but I've said before, and I will say again, the slippery slope isn't so much a fallacy as it is a recognition of an eventuality. All you have to do is read the tea leaves, man. And the tea leaves, it's not some... It's And this isn't some, like, psychic bullshit. This is, what have you done in the past? What what Where do your interests clearly lie as an organization, government in Canada... Where do your interests clearly lie? And then how are you going to further those interests given the things that you're investing in now? It's really not hard to see where this kind of shit's going to go. <sighs> and all the people are just like, oh, cool. The government gave me reward points. I could go shop with them. From thefire.org, University of Central Florida wisely drops punishment of students viral, for viral tweet about ex-girlfriend. In a reversal highlighting the need for colleges to refrain from haphazardly disciplining students for private speech, the University of Central Florida walked back its suspension of a student who tweeted a picture of his ex-girlfriend's apology letter. UCF student Nick Lutz had copy-edited the letter in red pen and graded it a D-. In July, UCF suspended Lutz for allegedly violating state and federal law as well as other provisions of the UCF student handbook. Back in February, Lutz posted a picture of a marked-up version of a breakup apology letter from his ex-girlfriend on Twitter. He had taken a red pen to the text, making edits on spelling and grammar mistakes, commenting on the content, and grading the letter. As of press time, Lutz's tweet has received more than 300,000 likes and has been retweeted more than 120,000 times. In the months following, Lutz's ex-girlfriend, who is not clearly identified in the letter and is not a UCF student, filed a cyberbullying report with the local sheriff's office. She claimed Lutz's actions and the comments from other Twitter users caused her substantial emotional distress. The state attorney declined to prosecute the case. Fire has confirmed that the state indicated there was sufficient evidence to prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt. Then why would they not prosecute it? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Despite the state attorney's decision not to prosecute a disciplinary panel at UCF found Lutz had violated university policy, specifically the student handbook's prohibition against any violation of local, state, and or federal laws of the rules of conduct. The panel found that Lutz may have violated laws in posting the tweet and suspended him for the summer and fall semesters. He was also placed on disciplinary probation. After Lutz appealed, UCF informed him that he had been found responsible for violating two other student code provisions and he had never been notified he was charged under disruptive conduct and harmful behavior. UCF, which earns a red light rating from fire for maintaining a speech code that clearly and substantially restricts freedom of expression, also retained the original suspension and probation sanctions. So yeah... They uh, they've walked that back. It appears, and uh, this is the kind of thing that's that's that go that's going on all over. Uh, universities overstepping their bounds. This happens with uh, with schools as well. Just your your high school and, and middle schools and things like that. Way overstepping their bounds, acting like they can police the conduct of people who are not uh, acting. Uh, I'll say in the jurisdiction of the. Institutions authority. <laughs> there's uh, there's very little, very little that you can do to to defend this kind of activity from universities and from high schools and, and things like that. There's really nothing you can do to defend it. It's very plainly against the law, but they do it anyway. Oh goodness, goodness gracious me.
And again, this is another thing that people are just like, yeah, man, the school's got to take responsibility for the student. Fuck you. All right. This is a story that broke today. Fascinating little story. And I think it leads into a larger discussion about uh, discourse, uh, especially on, on issues that the social justice crowd really care about. There was a Google employee. Well, I'll just read the Gizmodo text. Um, from Gizmodo, a software engineer's 10-page screed against Google's diversity initiative is going viral inside the company, being shared on an internal meme network in Google+. The document's existence was first reported by Motherboard, and Gizmodo has obtained it in full. In the memo, which is the personal opinion of a male Google employee and is titled Google's Ideological Echo Chamber, the author argues that women are underrepresented in tech not because they face bias and discrimination in the workplace, but because of inherent psychological difference between men and women. We need to stop, quote, we need to stop assuming that gender gaps imply sexism, he writes, going on to argue that Google's educational programs for young women may be misguided. So, I read through much of this, of this, uh, what they're calling a screed. I didn't see it as a screed, actually. I thought all of his arguments, uh, regardless of how wrong they may, they may be, uh, were fairly well, well represented. They were well, well thought out, and... Um, and and he it wasn't just like mad insane ramblings. It wasn't a screed. It was it was actually a a fairly um, well written uh, little little memorandum. And I just look. I don't think the guy's right. I don't see anything about men and women's psychological differences that would lead me to believe that women would be less effective as software, hardware developers, engineers, that kind of thing. I I really see nothing that would uh, make women inherently worse at that stuff. And, and frankly, there, there was, a, uh, there was a, a guy who wrote a Medium post who used to work at Google, and he said, look, all these things that you're saying are the differences between men and women that make women worse at these jobs are actually things that would make someone better at these jobs, which I think makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if he's right, and I don't know the statistics, what he's saying about the differences between men and women, I don't know the statistics, I don't know how accurate he is, but I would absolutely agree with that Medium post. The kinds of things that he's saying are different between men and women. Things like women are more sociable and they're less, less likely to, uh, to want to offend. You know, they're, they're more likely to couch a disagreement in uh, sort of a different – frame it differently and, and sort of you know, do, do things that make interpersonal relationships a little easier in, in the workplace and things like that. That's mainly what he's talking about. It just – I don't know. It, what really bothers me about this is not so much the, the memo itself, because the memo is just one guy's opinion. And it's not so much the notion that he's probably wrong, um, though he probably is. The, the thing that bothers me about this is the reaction that this got. And the reaction that this got was pretty much just people yelling about how awful he is as a person for writing this thing instead of engaging the points that he made. There was one article that I saw, and it was that Medium, Medium post that, that was done. This guy's... This is the only thing that I saw that was actually engaging his points. I did not see anyone engaging the points. I didn't see anyone engaging in a debate. I didn't see anyone saying, no, you're fucking wrong, and here's why. All I saw were people saying, oh, you're fucking terrible, you're a bad human being, blah, blah, blah. Kind of the same thing as... I mean, I've, I've talked about it before. The same thing as... The Anita Sarkeesian VidCon thing. She didn't make a point. She didn't make a philosophical point. She just said, you're garbage. You're a garbage person. That's not an argument. 
I, I, you know, at the risk of sounding like Stefan Molyneux, that's not an argument. <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing poorly if you, if you think that you're trying to make a point here, because you're not. You're just rambling and just yelling at people. People were tweeting about this, and they were, you know, oh, this, this gave me chills, and this is awful, and this is a great representation of sexism in the workplace, and blah, blah, blah. Why? Why? Give me a reason to, to say that this guy's wrong. Tell me he's wrong. Tell me how. Don't just, don't just talk about how awful it is that he has these opinions. Don't just tell me, oh, uh, here's an instance of wrong think. Let's all yell about it. No, 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 no. Why is he wrong? And I do think he's wrong. I really do. Just like this. I, just like that. I, I haven't seen the statistics. I haven't seen the statistics on, on the differences that he's talking about existing between men and women. I did read that Medium article where the guy said these supposed differences would actually make women way better at this job, which I think makes perfect sense. I don't agree with the guy's memo, but the dude is just getting excoriated. Maybe rightfully so, but they're not excoriating him for the points. They're excoriating him for voicing his opinion. For engaging in wrong think. And this from an industry that is supposed to be full of genuinely intelligent people. And I know there are genuinely intelligent people in this kind of industry. In the tech industry. Tech industry. I know there are genuinely intelligent people in this industry. I know some of them. But one thing I know about them too is they're fucking scared. Genuinely intelligent people in this industry who are willing to voice opinions that are unpopular... Well, they're not willing because they're fucking terrified. Because regardless of what this guy says about men and women, regardless of what this guy says about the efficacy of women in these kinds of jobs, what he said that rang true to me was that this industry is a fucking echo chamber. And if you if you are a wrong thinker, you are excoriated and booted. And that is fucking terrifying. In an industry that's supposed to be full of smart people. I don't know. It, it's, it, it saddens me that this is where we've gone with discourse in in this culture in this country i don't i don't like using phrases like in this country because borders between countries at this point are sort of blurred by the internet there's really no difference but it saddens me to see that this is where discourse has gone in an industry that's supposed to be full of intelligent people <laughs> and you know that the only people who are going to be saying anything are going to be people that disagree the people that agree with this aren't going to come out and say anything because this guy's fucking roach. This dude is not going to be at Google for another minute, right? And anyone who came out and said, yeah, this rings true to me, that's they're going to be fucking gone too. So you know the only people that are going to be allowed to speak on this just by the censorship of the mob, the only people that are going to be allowed to speak on this issue are the people who disagree. But they're not saying anything of substance. They're not saying anything valuable. They're just trying to whip up the mob and, and create a, a situation where there's even more mob censorship instead of telling me why he's wrong, telling me why the points he's making are incorrect. And like I said, I'm predisposed to thinking that they are. I think the guy's wrong, but no one's saying that. No one's, no one is saying why he's wrong, except one guy who wrote one Medium post. And we may get more of it down the road, but I'm telling you, the initial reaction here was not to write a nice, long, thinky piece about how he's wrong and how his points are incorrect. The reaction was just to excoriate the person as a sexist pig, and thus his opinion shouldn't matter at all. But there was nothing he said in here that was inherently, I would say, boorish. It's, the whole thing is a bit sexist, fine, but it's not boorishly sexist. It's not boorishly misogynist. He's not saying, women suck, blah, blah, blah. He's taking his understanding of the difference between women, men, and, men and women psychologically, and he's trying to 
make a case for why those differences may make women worse at this particular job. And I don't think he has much of a case there, but he's trying to build a case, and that's what this thing is. It's not a screed. It's a case that he's building to support an opinion that he has. He didn't come out and say, women suck and I hate them. That's not what this was at all. I think he's wrong, but I think his points were as well, were as, as, uh, as well argued as they could possibly be. Because he wasn't out here being some boorish person in this memo. He was... I don't know. He's building a case. And people have just, have just completely neglected the fact that this guy, he's making points. They might be wrong points. They probably are wrong points. But he's making points. He's not like some fucking Nazi on Twitter talking about how awful the blacks are. That's not what this was. That's not what this was at all. But because his opinion is not in line with that of the majority, eh, fuck it. Not even worth the time. This is calling him a sexist pig and ruin his life. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I really don't. I really don't get it at all. Oh, well. I think that's where I'm going to end the show, you guys. Thank you all for listening. Remember, I'm going to be doing a show at Liberty Weekly. Go listen to their podcast. It is incredible. You can find me at Files on Twitter. You can certainly find me there. You can, uh, you can find this show and other great shows on uh, AIRAD.io, including Annie Files. Annie Files is about to be updated this week, I think, and there's uh, a great show coming up, if I do say so myself. Thank you all very much for being with me, and I, I will see you next time. This show is part of the Alternative Internet Radio Podcast Network. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io.